Hello, friend, and welcome to the Rise Collective podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jordan, and I'm honored to facilitate a place to gather and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Thank you for being here. If you find value in these episodes, you can become a patron and get exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash risecollective. Before we begin, let's call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. This is episode nine. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Ryu Koyama. He is a brilliant colleague of mine. We work together at the T3 Institute, and I felt called to interview him for a whole host of reasons. I will get into that. First, I want to let you know that I have a brand new Patreon page where you can contribute to the production of the show. The Patreon giveaway for this month is a guided meditation. Patrons can receive this at the $3 a month level. In this show, we're talking about emotional repression and ways to help your nervous system come into wellness. The show notes are available at therisecollective.org. If you don't know Ryu Koyama, he is a circling practitioner and teacher. He was trained in circling in 2012, and he's been on staff for a variety of circling workshops at the Integral Center, now the T3 Institute, over the past few years, including being a part of the course leader team at the T3 Circling Facilitation Training since 2015. He is also a luminous awareness healing practitioner, having trained with the Luminous Awareness Institute since 2013. He's gone through their graduate program and is currently on support staff for their two-year program in California. He is a certified Rolfer, practicing in Boulder since 2012, and a certified TRE trauma tension releasing exercises provider. And finally, he is a certified foundation training student instructor. Welcome to the show, Ryu. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because when you're speaking, I feel so curious to learn more about your work and I think you have a really unique way of approaching working with the ner- nervous system and trauma and welcoming wholeness in the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, we're, should we start somewhere? Should I tell you a bit about what we're, yeah, how I got to, into this? Or Yeah, I'd love to hear your story about... Mm-hmm where you came from in college and where you are now. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I went to college in California and I studied film of all things. Uh, and part of what was going on for me, I really like stories. I really like movies. And, um, I was really curious about why people care so much about stories and, and, TV shows and movies and books and novels and all those kinds of things. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of our attention um, engaging with all that kind of media and narrative storytelling. And I was really curious why, fundamentally why, um, why it's valuable, why it kind of strikes some kind of human chord with people and why, you know, what's kind of underneath that has people really interested psychologically, emotionally invested in stories. Um, and, uh, I, so I kind of went on this journey or investigation. I started reading a lot, a lot about psychology, a lot about emotions, a lot about, uh, things like that. Um, and at the same time I was in college, um, I was kind of, um, I was very socially awkward and I, I was very nervous. I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And um, I can kind of consider myself a recovering kind of nice guy. 
and I was feeling very broken at the time. Like uh, I couldn't seem to get uh, women to be interested or attracted uh, to me. Yeah, so I was kind of in that in that kind of spot, and I, I ended up doing a lot of this reading, and I kind of came across the mind-body connection and how that works, and I got really fascinated, and I started having a lot of kind of emotional openings in myself. Um, and yeah, at the end of college, I went and, uh, well, in my last year of college, I just started investigating a whole bunch of different things. I tried rolfing, I got circled, I tried different kinds of emotional kind of healing work with different people, and I moved to Colorado at the end of college to learn how to be a rolfer, to learn how to work with people's bodies. Um, rolfing is a kind of, kind of body work um, that we kind of put our hands on someone, apply pressure to their muscles and, and connective tissues and things like that to help them with their posture and how they feel in their body and how they walk and move. Um, so I was here in Colorado studying that, and then when I was here, the, uh, the kind of circling movement came over and took over a place called the Integral Center in Boulder. And so I got really involved with this circling practice, which is a kind of practice of um, being in kind of meditative practice in relationship with people and connection with people and really learning how to connect at a kind of emotional, very potentially very intimate way with people. Uh, so I figured I was in the in the right place. So I've been heavily involved in that community and that work for about the past six years alongside with um, working with people, helping them with their body issues and posture and things like that for the last six years. Um, and then and the more I got into the circling work, I kind of came across a, a healing and awakening school in California called Luminous Awareness Institute. And I've been studying with the teachers there uh, for, I think I'm in my sixth year now, almost. So I've just been, um, I think there was something in me that really wanted to understand, like, fundamentally what's going on. Like, there's got to be some deeper truth, deeper reality, deeper something at the heart of what it means to be human and have this human experience. And um, at the same time, kind of deal with all the suffering that I was going through way back then. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of led me to the place where I am right now, where I'm uh, doing this work with people and teaching people how to, how to do a lot of these practices and guiding them through that. So yeah, that's kind of what's, what's going on. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I, what's coming up for me is I'm thinking about how I've, I've heard it said that your greatest pain becomes your great work in the world yeah. and it sounds like that's what happened for you I love how your interest in stories and psychology and how those how stories come to be and the characters in them um, unfolded and became something totally different from mm -hmm. studying film it was mm -hmm. like it seems like film was really your way into this curiosity around how people are and and why they do the things that they do. Yeah, definitely. Like as you're saying that, I can feel like my own kind of care for the being that I was back then. Mm. And um, I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through the amount of kind of confusion and kind of lost internal emotional lostness and suffering that I was going through mm. back then. So hoping that my having navigated a lot of that um, is of some some use to people who hopefully don't have to go through the exact same thing quite exactly that that way that I did. Right. Can you share a little bit about like a day in the life of what that looks like to give people an idea of what you were, what you help people with? Oh, okay. Um, I don't I don't know if like a it makes sense to start with a day, but. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm helping people now, I do a variety of different things. So um, if I'm doing more bodywork-oriented things, I'm usually, um, people come in and get sessions with me. Um, we talk about what they want to change in their body, and I'm kind of doing the rolfing technique with people. Um, and hopefully more and more, um, I've been wanting to do more of something called um, 
TRE with people, which is TRE stands for um, trauma tension releasing exercises. And that's a that's another kind of practice where you activate the part of the nervous system by doing a set of physical exercises, part of the nervous system that knows how to kind of um, discharge or release kind of negative distress or stress or tension in the body by shaking or tremoring, which is something that animals do naturally. Um, but we've been kind of, people have usually generally been kind of conditioned out of doing that. Um, so I do that kind of work with people um, body-wise. I also teach kind of exercises that people can do to help them with their body. Um, in terms of helping people at an emotional, more kind of emotional level, um, that is something that at this point I don't, I don't feel like I do any kind of set procedure or set process with. Um, to me, um, and this might get into more of the stuff that we can talk about, but mm -hmm. to me, um, when, I, when someone comes in and they're suffering in some kind of way or they're working through some kind of emotional challenge in some kind of way, that's um, rather than, yeah, rather than kind of applying some kind of formulaic process to that, to me it's really just a try, I'm doing my best to try to tune exactly what is going on for them and exactly where they're stuck and why they're stuck. And I'm trying to be as much a kind of embodiment of a lot of the values that I think are helping someone come into contact with the nervous system's inherent capacity to, to heal itself. So I'm trying to be a, a guide, someone who can both educate someone about like, hey, this is like you're stuck and hopefully provide a bit of clarity around why they might actually be stuck somewhere and um, how maybe they learn some beliefs or some ideas about themselves or how to pay attention to their experience in a way that's actually not serving them that isn't in alignment with how the nervous system actually comes into some deeper well-being with mm -hmm. itself um, and at the same time also actually hopefully being that kind of caring presence with someone so they can actually feel safe enough to mm -hmm. feel a lot of the things that are potentially very challenging or difficult or um, painful to feel that will be uh, to some extent need to feel in order to uh, move through them process them and come out on the other side mm -hmm. um, back into well-being so I want to pause yeah. you there because mm -hmm. what I am really interested in this thread is I know in the past we've talked about how mm -hmm. our conditioning and how our society holds these um, ways that we discharge our nervous system or mm -hmm. the ways that we might um, move through mm -hmm. emotional issues and can you talk a little bit about how we treat those mm -hmm. um, situations or right. feelings in our society and how that um, is not necessarily in service for people. Yeah. Well, so my, my view is that the way that we heal or the way that the, the body heals at this kind of deep um, nervous system level is that um, when we experience distress... Um, like that's a natural response whatever distress that we're feeling is a natural response that our body has to kind of cope with or deal with whatever situation probably some kind of stressful or overwhelming situation that we're in um so yeah we do things like get angry or get sad or get upset when we're in stressful situations in, in general usually what needs to happen in a lot of those cases is that the body's kind of natural response needs to complete. We need to, if we're in something that we perceive as a dangerous situation, then well, like a lot of the examples are like if in the past, if we were in a field and we were being hunted by a predator, we would actually, you know, our body would give us all this energy to deal with that situation. We would run away or fight or something and it would use all that energy. Um, but now maybe it's closer to something like we're sitting looking at our finances and kind of worried about whether or not we have enough money or resources or whatever it is to do whatever it is that we want to do with. Um, and in that situation, I'm, I might be feeling all this energy and stuff, but I'm not, it doesn't necessarily obviously make sense to start running in that situation or something like that. So I'm, I'm not in an environment where I can actually use that energy so that my body can complete 
that process of using all of that energy and then coming back to a baseline of feeling safe. And then kind of more to, to the point that you wanted me to talk to is that in general, it seems like, I mean, you know, there's, there's going to be some, of course, individual variation based off of what culture and what kind of family you grew up in and what kind of environment you grew up in. But in general, it seems like most cultures don't understand that this is how the body processes distress, how it deals with distress. And in a lot of cases, um, people get messages in different ways that their natural body responses are not okay. Like um, if someone's crying, crying is a potentially a natural way that the body tries to relieve itself of, of distress. Um, so we might tell people that they shouldn't cry or they shouldn't be emotional or that they shouldn't be overdramatic or that they're too sensitive or things like that. Or if someone's angry, we might be like, you know, they might need to actually shout or, you know, hit a pillow or something like that to actually move that energy through their, their body so that it can actually kind of complete and they can let go of all of it, discharge it. Um, but we might tell them that they're too much or they're making too big a deal about something or that they're, you know, someone might get scared of them and then go away and then, um, you know, that person might then get the message that it's not okay for them to be angry. So I, there's just like a lot of ways that I think people get the message either overtly um, that whatever their experience is, they're having is not okay. They're too sensitive, they're too dramatic, they're too vulnerable, they're too weak or whatever it is. Um, or just behaviorally, people treat them when they're in that kind of state. They avoid them or they do any number of other kinds of behaviors. Um, yeah, I yeah, think a few other examples yeah. are... Um, you were mentioning dancing. Mm -hmm. It's not always okay. That's mm -hmm. a way that the body yeah. moves through things. Singing. And these dancing and singing are and shaking yeah. are all coping mechanisms mm -hmm. to help our mm -hmm. bodies get through them. And they're not right. always acceptable. Yeah, I wouldn't, let's see. I wouldn't necessarily say maybe that they're all quite coping mechanisms exactly but there are all ways that we can cope with and discharge and manage and move that kind of energy through our body so yeah a lot of things like touch mm -hmm. sexuality um dancing singing i think a lot of people either have um inhibitions around or our culture whatever culture they grew up in might place a lot of inhibitions on on that like i know um where i grew up um, like touch wasn't a big like it wasn't okay to hug people or touch people. When I when when we inhibit something like that with, with people, when they get the message that's not okay, they don't have access to a whole way of regulating or working with whatever they're feeling, and they can, yeah, it's it's kind of a recipe to get a lot of people stuck with having to walk around and holding onto and carrying a lot of emotional baggage. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to why you specifically work with the nervous system for emotional well-being? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I say I work with the, the nervous system, and I feel really like I'm working with just people's experience, direct experience in general. But I think over all of the things I've studied, all the different books I've read, and all the trainings, and all the work that I've done with my teachers, and all that, kind of when we look at the nervous system, it starts to become clear that there's a kind of set things that are good for the nervous system, like it's healthy for the nervous system to discharge or to release kind of emotions or energy, and that there's certain ways that the nervous system kind of works with that and, and deals with that. And so I think what it is is that kind of learning and understanding about how the nervous system works has given me a really clear map or understanding about how human experience functions at this kind of subjective level that's just been really good to have a clear guide about how that how that works to orient to mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i think about what i do in terms of the, the nervous system and understanding how the nervous system works are there certain patterns or types of issues in your work and in your clients mm -hmm. that show up often mm -hmm. Um, I think that most people are confused about a lot of the things that I've spoken about before, which um, I'm imagining isn't like what I've said isn't exactly like new news to the people who are 
listening. Um, but I notice that people are very, you know, when people come in and to work with me through a issue that they're having or emotional block that they're having, they're usually confused about what's going on. And a lot of the confusion seems to stem from that they can't welcome or understand their um, emotional experience and they can't accept their feelings. Um, they have a hard time welcoming or being with difficult emotions, which makes a lot of, I'm not, I'm not wronging anyone for that. That makes a tremendous amount of sense to me, given what I've said about how people grow up and what they learn about their emotions. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, people will come in and they're like, wow, I feel, I feel sad and I don't want to feel sad. And from my end, I'm like, well, sadness is the process of your nervous system trying to recover from whatever happened. So if they just let themselves feel sad in a way that felt okay, if we could kind of create an environment where it was okay to feel sad or felt safe to feel sad, they could let that part of their process mm -hmm. kind of move and complete. So I think a lot of what I'm doing is I'm guiding people through those kind of often younger, kind of confused places where they're not sure, um, where they kind of get lost maybe in some internalized sense that it's not okay to... Mm -hmm to feel this or it's not okay to be this way or that that way and I think a lot of it stems from um, I'm really partial to um, John Bowlby's work and all the work that's come out of kind of attachment theory which is about how um, kind of what is the kind of right relationship healthy relationship developmental relationship between the parent and the child and how do children develop and learn and, and get these kinds of beliefs through their interaction with their, with their caretaker about them, whether they're okay, whether they're valuable, whether they're lovable, and all those kinds of things. So it sounds mm -hmm. like attachment theory really influences mm -hmm. how, how someone is nurtured as yeah. a baby and mm -hmm. a young, young child really influences how they develop emotionally and their their capacity to welcome their experience yeah yeah there's um a lot of that work says that um our kind of our general approach to human experience kind of forms at like a very young young age like two or three or something like that i don't know the exact numbers but um but yeah through that relationship we get this instilled some somewhere in us our kind of general attitude toward human experience whether we're open to mm -hmm. the experience of life or not um, and I think a lot of where that comes from is that when I I think we all share I mean there might be some exceptions but I think for the most part we all share in this experience of coming into this world and being a vulnerable baby or infant that doesn't have any capacity to um, to care for itself mm -hmm. and is entirely dependent on its environment or its caretaker um, to take care of him or herself. Whether or not I'm okay has entirely to do with my connection with that person. If I cry, do they actually come to pick me up and hold me? If they don't, then I'm there crying and I'm gonna start to feel like I'm gonna die because the, my lifeline isn't there. So th at that point, I'm probably gonna start to go into distress. And then the only coping mechanism I have at that point to deal with this distress, I can't go like, oh, mom's, mom or dad is busy right now. I'm going to start kind of shutting myself down. And then eventually when I start to, you know, um, kind of theorizing here, but, you know, at some point uh, when I start to develop thoughts or ideas around that experience that I had. Stories. These stories around it, I'm probably going to start, you know, it might not be far off that I start developing some idea of like, oh, um, I don't deserve attention or I don't deserve love or I don't deserve um, to be cared for or I'm not a valuable person um, and and as long as that's not resolved I'm potentially carrying that around with me mm -hmm. in my life my, my body is carrying it around um, potentially in a way that I might not consciously be aware of so I think that a lot of these like a lot of our capacity to work through difficult emotions and difficult experiences um, whether we feel capable of doing that or not has to do with whether or not someone was there for us at that mm. at that time so yeah I would say that at the bottom of it a lot of the 
things that have people have going on seems to be fundamentally that um, at the root of a lot of these problems for a lot of people is that someone wasn't there for them and they never really learned how to sit across from someone and have kind of face-to-face eye-to-eye skin-to-skin kind of interaction that's actually soothing that actually helps us um, feel safe feel okay moving through and feeling a lot of these sadness or anger a lot of these things that are uncomfortable in service of illuminating what you're speaking Mm -hmm. to i want to share a story about one of the times when you circled me and Uh i also want to explain what circling is right uh, well, why don't you explain what circling is yeah, before I go sure. into the story? Well, circling is um, circling is a relational meditation practice where usually the way it's practiced is that um, there's a whole bunch of different schools of circling now, but the, the one that we're, we know about, um, it's usually a group of people sitting together and one person has kind of volunteered themselves to be the center of attention of the group for a certain amount of time. And we put our attention on that person and there's a facilitator and they're kind of guiding this group inquiry conversation with this person about what is it like for them to be who they are, how they are in the present moment. Um, what is it like to kind of experience things through their eyes, through their hearts in a certain way. And uh, we're just getting what is it like for that person to be who they are and not doing many of the things I think typically people do like give advice or tell someone how to feel or try to tell someone how they should think, what they should believe. Um, all the things that are counter to actually inviting someone to have kind of a experience of moving through their emotion that I've been describing or talking about. Um, and yeah, usually people get to have a profound, exp- potentially profound experience of feeling seen, of feeling gotten or understood by someone and they can kind of deepen into their own experience. It's an environment where people get a lot of self-discovery. They get to become more aware of like, oh, this is how I show up in connection. This is how I show up in relationship. And they also potentially get to have a experience of like, wow, I, I didn't realize that, you know, all of my interactions were motivated by maybe my fear of doing something wrong or fear that I don't deserve attention from other people and get to feel whatever grief or whatever hurt is at the bottom of it and kind of let go of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's kind of what, like, we could, I could go into that for, yeah. we could go into that for a long time, describing it more and more detail, but you were going to say something about. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you haven't circled, I think yeah. we both highly recommend it as, um, as an avenue of self-discovery and development. And... To illuminate what Rhea was speaking to around um, welcoming your, being able to welcome your experience and what you're feeling emotionally and physically too. I want to tell a story, which is that probably a year or two ago, Rhea was circling me. So I was the center of attention. Rhea was facilitating the circle. And I have spoken about this a lot on my YouTube channel that I have I had a lot of emotional repression when I was learning how to circle and going through T3 and I also was taking on a lot of the emotion around the room and so in this circle I was crying a lot and there was some content to it and it also felt kind of um, in my experience it felt kind of uncontrollable like there was something Mm -hmm. inside me that needed to come out or something in the room that needed to be expressed and Rio said to me is it okay with you that you're crying Mm -hmm. and it was not okay (laughs) for me and that in that moment I realized how much I was really repressing my experience and repressing my empathy (laughs) which is a gift and a curse in some scenarios and just kind of stuffing myself and my experience down. So I think that's a good way to illustrate what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think over the years, having circled over and over and over again, what comes up for me is just how 
hard it is for people to sit in that group, that kind of group, and receive the attention of the group, and to just be there, mm. to just like feel comfortable inhabiting who they are and feeling whatever they're they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having been in that situation over and over, where I'm facilitating a group and it's not okay for that person, they they feel right. Mm-hmm. We're all there, and maybe we're all in our hearts, um, being trying to be with them, but they. Or somehow they've internalized from somewhere that it's not okay for them to just be who they are right there and feel whatever they're mm-hmm. feeling and be whoever they're being. Um, yeah, it just occurs to me as very uh, kind of tragic and speaking to just how much, how much overall it seems like there's these kind of messages that people have inherited from their culture or wherever that it's not okay for them to be or feel. Yeah, um, when you said... It, that it occurs as tragic. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it is so tragic. <laughs> because when we're, like you said, not inhabiting our self or our being, mm-hmm. we we may not be expressing those quote-unquote negative emotions like mm-hmm. sadness or anger. But in my experience, I also wasn't f- fully expressing joy and mm-hmm. um, like the brilliance of our essence also gets squashed when yeah. we're squashing one, another part mm-hmm. of ourselves. So, Yeah, yeah. I think in a lot of the kind of somatic psycho, psycho, psychological work, body-oriented psychotherapeutic work, um, like repression, when I repress something, I repress everything. Like I can't just repress. Like that's the other thing. People seem kind of, they want to just repress their negative feelings or the discomfort or the sadness. But usually that shuts down a whole area or a whole portion of the nervous system around that. So it's kind of like the analogy or metaphor would be um, anesthetic. Like I numb that part of myself out from both feeling negative things and from also feeling joy. Um, I remember when I was in college, one of the things I did was I went to see a healer to do emotional work. And um, I would go in and I was just starting to have this understanding of like, oh, this is what emotions are. This is what it's like to actually consciously feel a feeling. And I would go in and I would be, you know, she would have me do exercises where I would lie down, things that would kind of evoke sadness and I would start crying or I would be hitting this couch with a pillow over and over again (laughs) and feeling my anger. Um, And it would be extremely, extremely cathartic. But at least initially, there was this huge kind of high and low. Like I would leave feeling like, wow, like this expandedness and empowered feeling. And then over time, I would like, my nervous system would go back into the habit of kind of shutting down again. And it just took several weeks or maybe a few months for that to start kind of leveling out because I think what had happened was my nervous system had just kind of shut down a whole range of my expression or feeling. So there was just... um yeah, a lot of joy and a lot of openness that I wasn't feeling as well as a lot of the pain and sadness and anger and hurt that was in my body somewhere. So. Yeah, and it sounds like from your studies, most of or a lot of these systems in our bodies and nervous system and emotional system, the brain get formed early on through attachment styles, mm-hmm. for formation of attachment styles. Would you say that people experience trauma in their attachment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say so. I think I think we have to be careful there because of the way people use the word trauma. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in this case, I would say that I'm using it in a very, like in the broadest, kind of lightest, most general sense mm-hmm. of anything that's like really distressing for people. Um, not kind of extreme things that you might might think about uh, you kind of life life or death situations or mm-hmm. things like that um, but yeah I mean the the infant um, there's this incredible um, video experiment called the um, still face experiment um, which is by this um, attachment researcher guy I think his name is Ed Tronic but he had mothers with very very young babies interacting with their with their child or with their baby or their toddler and um, the mother kind of they're instructed to keep their face blank and expressionless 
And what happens after that is immediately the baby starts to show signs of distress or trying to get the, the mother's attention. And the mother's instructed to continue to have her expression be kind of blank or expressionless. And the longer she does that, the more distress the infant goes into. So they are very, very, apparently very, very sensitive mm -hmm. to um, whether or not they can actually, um, um, yeah, whether or not they can actually have, kind of get at someone's attention, their, their caretaker's attention. And, and if they and can't survive, yeah, and survive by having that, that connection, that bond would be one mm -hmm. interpretation of it. But yeah, it seems like a very influential thing for mm -hmm. people. Yeah. How people are nurtured mm -hmm. or not as children. And so I get that there are um, degrees of trauma mm -hmm. like we talked about. Yeah. It can be life or death or mm -hmm. it can be, there's a gradient. Yeah. And I know that in your work, you work with kind of the full spectrum mm -hmm. of those traumas. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, why, why is it important to heal trauma? Mm -hmm. So I think fundamentally it, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, probably a lot of good reasons that I could uh, talk about or think about, but I think fundamentally it, it prevents us from actualizing ourselves. It prevents us from having, being the greatest potential uh, of who we can be. Uh, yeah, I remember one thing that happened when I was learning to circle is in, like, you need to learn how to be like a facilitator, right? So if someone says something that's not part of the practice, I need to be able to like pause them and be like, no, that's not what we're doing right now. Let's come back to kind of what we're intending to do. And um, when I, towards the beginning of when I was learning how to circle, I had a very hard time doing that. My mentor at the time circled me afterwards about what was going on for me in that moment, in those mm -hmm. moments where I should be kind of pausing people and kind of facilitating and be taking charge of the space. Mm -hmm. And I quickly like dropped into this space in myself where it felt like it was not okay for me to like prioritize what I wanted over what other people wanted. And kind of when I looked at the emotion or the feeling around that, I went back to kind of how much I had been bullied in school growing up and feeling like if I was treated that way by so many people that there must be something wrong with me. And if there was something wrong with me, there was no way I was going to be able to kind of assert myself in a circle and pause someone and be like, no, I'm going to prioritize what I want over what you want because this is what we're doing. We've decided, we've agreed we're going to circle right now and that's not quite what we agreed to. That I had been treated that way in the past, it seemed like it had some kind of connection with my capacity to actually assert myself. And probably in other places in my life too, I might be kind of sacrificing myself or my, um, what I want and my needs over other people, whether that's in a relationship or whether that's actually being able to assert myself in terms of my career or be productive. Um, um, so I think that kind of trauma that we're talking about, it prevents us from being able to um, move through a lot of those things. Trauma potentially yeah, prevents us, keeps us stuck in a lot of those those places and prevents us from actualizing, actualizing ourselves in a lot of those kinds of ways. And it also just, um, I think the ultimate aim is just that it, it prevents us from feeling and when we need that feeling to feel fulfilled. Um, to be in touch with ourselves, to experience joy and pleasure mm -hmm. in, our, in our lives. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it really highlights the piece that we were talking mm -hmm. about before of once you tamp down one part of yourself, mm -hmm. you're tamp tamping down yeah. all yeah. of yourself. Yeah, and I think of what people struggle with a lot, particularly in relationship. Relationship is this, I think it's this potentially tricky thing because at the at the face of it it seems contradictory because it's like if I'm going to connect with someone I think a lot of the messages people get are on along the lines that like if I'm going to connect with someone then that's got to be on my terms like what I want or what I need mm -hmm. right if I'm going to get what I need or what I want then that connection has to be on my terms then I end up kind of not caring about what the other person wants right but then if I care about what the other person wants and their needs and what they want in connection then I need to kind of forget about or drop anything that I want or what I need. I need to kind of sacrifice, sacrifice. myself. Mm -hmm. um, and usually people have been um, through their conditioning, through that trauma, through how that played out in their experience. They've been typically 
Um, I mean, of course, it varies on circumstances and what relationship they're in and all those things, but usually they have a kind of a leaning where either they, they've learned, oh, I need to kind of sacrifice myself to be in connection, mm-hmm. or if I'm ever going to get any of my needs met, I need to kind of like bulldoze over whatever anyone else wants in order to be in connection. And so trauma kind of polarizes people. It seems like it puts us on either end. And the aim of, I think one of the aims of connection is to try to resolve that seeming paradox. And how do I actually bring myself in a way that what I want and what I need is okay? What you want and what you need is okay. Can we try to find some way of collaborating Mm -hmm. between us from that place rather than needing to sacrifice either party to in order to feel connected in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wanting to go back to our discussion about the nervous system because mm-hmm. I think this piece is really important. So we've covered a lot of the the way we relate to our emotional experience, how that affects our lives. Yeah. And I want to illustrate how emotions and the nervous system are collaborating all the mm-hmm. time and how they affect each other. Mm-hmm. And... The second part of that is how to support your nervous system in right. coming into well-being. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how the emotions and the nervous system are connected? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really think about those as separate things necessarily. Mm-hmm. To me, they're they're naturally things that are connected. Basically, if I try to condense a lot of different people's thoughts on this stuff, um, there's some of Stephen Porges' work with polyvagal theory in here as well as um, one of the books I read recently was a book called How Emotions Are Made. Um, I think the author was Lisa Feldman Barrett and um, she wrote this book about emotions and the more recent kind of neuroscience about how emotions work and what that shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I combine a bit of what I think I understand from what they're saying is that the brain is kind of this predictive thing. It, it's trying to predict moment to moment what's going to happen next and what our metabolic needs are in our bodies and our nervous system for to, to do the things that we're going to do next. So it's constantly predicting that and one of the things that it factors in into its prediction is whether or not we feel safe. And so Stephen Porges has this idea of called neuroception, which means that at a kind of subconscious level, outside of our awareness, our bodies are constantly sensing taking information in from the outside and trying to sense whether or not we feel safe or not. And if we don't feel safe, we start going into kind of predictable, somewhat predictable um, categories of responses. Um, The more distressed we are, the more we go into kind of a fight or flight kind of mechanism, um, which I think, it depends on the situation, but people might, might connect a bit better for people with like things like anxiety or fear or um, terror, or anger, um, frustration, things like that, to me seem more in that area or zone. And then the more shut down we get, or sorry, the more distress we get, we start shutting down. We start dissociating, we start feeling numb, numbing out, um, feeling a lot of heaviness or dullness in our bodies. From that understanding that they're putting out, our, our bodies are these kind of sensing mechanisms that are constantly trying to ascertain whether or not we feel safe. And then depending on our history, our past, how people have treated us and what we're taking in from the environment, they're going to kind of respond to that uh, in a way that's uh, appropriate to that. So again, if I come into kind of like to bring back to my example, if I, or the example I gave, right, if I'm in a situation where I'm in a relationship and I need to kind of assert myself, if my body's history around that is that that's not safe or that's not okay. I'm going to probably feel a lot of terror, a lot of fear. Or if even the terror or fear seems potentially overwhelming, um, my body's just going to kind of start shutting down mm-hmm. on its own. Um, and then the greater issue is that I can get stuck there. I can get stuck in terror or I can get stuck and shut down. Uh, and then now I'm walking around um, kind of feeling, or I don't know if I would feel it, feel it necessarily, but start to walk around carrying that kind of experience in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I potentially numb out from it, or um, then I become less and less aware that that's kind of what's going on 
in the background. I like how you brought together, you said that you don't see them as separate. Mm -hmm. So how can people bring Mm -hmm. their nervous system into well-being? There's a lot of ways. I think the one that, um, like the most important thing to me is that people understand that whatever feeling that they're having is okay. Like whatever experience they're having, it might be intense, it might be very difficult, it might be a very challenging experience. But each time I've sat down with someone and I've looked at like, why are they exactly feeling that? Usually it makes complete sense given what they've said and given what I've talked about so mm-hmm. far. That it's just a natural response that their body is having to try to cope with or deal with experience so I think yeah one of the biggest things people can do is have that understanding of their own experience and um, try to um, yeah just understand that whatever your body is doing is okay it's not bad or wrong maybe other people have had trouble being with your experience so maybe you might have some beliefs that oh this is not okay feeling to feel or it's not okay to express this with someone but yeah fundamentally all of the things that we're feeling are good are okay and from there we would want to create some kind of space or environment where we could actually maybe navigate some of the parts of someone that feels confused about whether or not they're safe whether or not someone's actually going to um be upset upset with them or something like that like you've probably been in a lot of circles as well where it like often comes down to someone being like well it's not okay for me to feel this Mm-hmm. And kind of what ends up happening in the circles, a lot of people just being like, wow, I accept that you feel this way. I'm not judging you that you feel this way um, over and over until maybe some part of them finally opens to the idea or realizes that, oh, it actually is okay for me to be sad and cry or mm-hmm. be angry. Um, and then hopefully what happens in that is that they have some kind of avenue to actually release that emotion or let that emotion express so it sounds like releasing the emotion and being able to complete like you said in the Mm -hmm. very beginning complete the process the Mm -hmm. bodily process that can help yeah the nervous system yeah and there's a lot of ways of of doing that you know there's kind of yeah there's just a whole spectrum of different things like in tre someone we go through the process and has the, we just access the mechanism of their body shaking to let go of the um, a lot of the distress that's been stored or tension that's been stored in the body because the body kind of tenses up to contract around feelings, unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do things like circling where we can actually talk with someone and kind of explore their experience until we get to that the place where maybe they feel safe enough to kind of release or um, feel what they're feeling what it is is that um there are a lot of things that from the outside look like um people processing their emotions like crying or being sad that from the outside might look like oh they're actually processing their experience but um there are kind of specific cases where people might be actually wallowing in the emotion or um kind of kind of cycling through it over and over again rather than actually releasing it or discharging it all the way. So do want to be careful. Um, there, Yeah, and those are just specific cases that kind of need to be navigated for um, and understood exactly what's going on in the case such that it's happening, that it's not actually a, a release. Um, so yeah, so just, not, just, just to be aware that not all, like um, just expressing whatever you're feeling isn't necessarily may not necessarily be the answer in all cases. And then if we do that, if we do express, um, probably the best place to do that is in a container. Not Maybe not necessarily with the person that you feel angry with or upset with or something like that. With a professional. Yeah, with professional or whoever you feel, mm-hmm. um, whoever does actually have the capacity to be with you in that mm. experience and be present and not be judgmental and not be... Um, right, because um, if I open myself up in that kind of space with maybe someone who is who I'm angry with but they are also angry at me they probably won't be able to <laughs> potentially not not be able to hold space for me they might just get angry back at me and then that might re- reinforce my idea oh it's okay it's not okay for me to be angry mm-hmm. so we just want to have containers for that 
Uh, and the other thing is that there are other ways for people to change. I am I very much emphasize a body-based way for people to change. There are other ways of like working with thoughts or doing certain processes with the mind and with beliefs um, that I like to incorporate as well. But I feel like the reason why I care so much about the the body is because I think that that's what is most likely to produce someone who's kind of relationally potent. Um, the kind of person that maybe they walk into a room and you can feel like, wow, they're kind of emanating love or care or kindness or openness or spaciousness or something like that. And I think that has learning more and more how to be better and better at being in a relationship. I think that it's that kind of capacity to be in the visceral experience of being in connection that is most valuable to learn how to be better at being in connection, have more intimate, more fulfilling connections as opposed to being able to exchange, kind of rewire things at the level of kind of just exchanging ideas and, and thoughts, if that makes sense. So, yeah, working yeah. with your relationships and kind of diving into this relational space rather than speaking at an intellectual level yeah yeah having more depth to your relationships yeah. it sounds like because mm-hmm. it's like can i can i sit across from someone and can i again like i was saying before can i just be here mm-hmm. and can we reside in that kind of potent feeling of being present with each other and feeling viscerally connected that i think is um it's another thing that i think is tragic is that we don't I don't think people get a lot of education about how to do that or how to have that in connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are seeking in their, from their relationships or their connections is to actually have that kind of potent, like visceral feeling of feeling connected or feeling care together or feeling good, soothed, or maybe inspired together. That's more than just an exchange of ideas or talking which is good. There's definitely good things about that as well. But that just seems like when people come to circling, that's what they're they're seeking in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deeper connection, ability to be more authentic and kind of access their mm-hmm. expression yeah. and be with others who can do the same. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. This sure. has been really fun. I I'm really inspired by the way you combine this somatic body work with the level of emotional depth and Mm -hmm. relational depth that you bring Mm -hmm. to being with and witnessing people in your practice. Yeah. So thank you. And I know that you created a gift for people to come Mm -hmm. download. Where can people find you? So yeah, you can uh, find that on my website. It's uh, ryukoyama.com. And there's a healing page on there. And on that page, there's a link to a summary and self-assessment where you can learn about kind of the, the healing skills that are needed to be able to, and you can assess yourself on um, the skills that are needed to be able to kind of have this kind of emotional, to be able to work through your emotions, kind of like we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that gift. And I'll put the website and the link for that self-assessment in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Ryu. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.